You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. What does the Bible say about repentance? Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by ChristadelphianVideo.org. So what does the Bible have to say about repentance? Biblical repentance means more than being sorry. It, It requires a change of direction in thinking, into understanding the mind and the purpose of God. Scripture reveals a God who is continually trying to turn his people back to him. Because true repentance which includes baptism and the remission for the remission of sins is a matter of life and death. If we were to look in a dictionary and look at what this word for repentance means, we would see something like this on the screen. The action of repenting is to show sincere regret or remorse or the fact that you are showing sorry for something wrong that you have done. Now, I would argue it's a fairly old-fashioned word. If you are a believer in the Bible, it's a word that you may come across. But otherwise, we may not often hear the word repenting, repentance, used very often at all. Perhaps in a legal sense, we might hear that someone shows no repentance for something that they have done. This idea, though, of being sorry or showing regret is something though that really we start to develop from a young age as we gain a knowledge of what is right and wrong. As parents, we try to train our children to do the right things, to follow the instructions that they are given. And that's first and foremost to keep them safe, but to help them grow and develop socially, to understand the world that they live in. And yet, so often, they go against their parents' wishes. It's almost a natural instinct, isn't it? Whether it's putting their trousers down at their auntie's house or getting the pepper out on the table. Children from a young age lack that sense of wrongdoing. By the way, Jonas is watching, so I hope you appreciate that. They don't understand the world that they live in. They have no concept of of safety, of social conventions, and so we teach them. We use discipline and we model behaviours to show the ways in which we want them to follow. But as parents, we know that this can be difficult and incredibly trying and requires a lot of patience. That idea of being sorry, though, or showing repentance or at least getting a child to say sorry for something, only becomes relevant if they have a knowledge of what is right or wrong. As children grow, they start to develop and they have experience, they gain knowledge of the world around, they have a greater understanding of wrongdoing, of morals and perhaps of their emotions and of others' emotions. And sometimes, and on occasions, there grows a sense of regret or remorse over something that may have been done. 
And again, though, we know that there are occasions where children, even adults, we delight in wrongdoing. As adults and through experience of life, we have a better understanding of all these things. And at times we can articulate this to others in speaking to them, sending gifts or cards. And yet, like children, this can be at times very difficult even for adults to do, can't it? And we suffer from pride. What we want to do this evening, though, is to look at just a few scriptures, a few verses that deal with this idea of repentance. On the screen is the word family, at least in my version, the King James Version, of all the words that are associated with repent in my Bible. And we will look at just some verses in the old and some in the new and turn to the Bible to see what God has revealed to us in his word about what repentance is. And how it can guide us. Scripture so often speaks to us as God being a father himself to his children. And those who love him will serve him as children do their father. The Bible presents us with a guide that we can use. And so we intend to look at the verses to support what we are talking about tonight. It's probably one of the most technical slides I will show tonight. I promise it won't get more complicated than this. But it shows to us the main two uses of Hebrew words, nachem and shuv. Forgive the pronunciation. They are the two main words used that deal with repent or repentance in the Old Testament. Predominantly, uh, we have the word translated as comfort, the nachem word, and to turn the shuv word. So just a couple of examples. In Jeremiah 8 and verse 6 says, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? That's the blue word, top left. We see it as the word repent in the King James Version. The idea is to turn. The green on the right, as an example, Ezekiel 33. As I live, saith the Lord Yahweh, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? So this element is to do with a turning, particularly in the Old Testament. And then on the bottom in the Greek, these are predominantly the words we see. One is the, uh, the noun, one is the verb. We have the words metanaeo and metanoia. The idea of repent or repentance. So, for example, you might read, they went out and preached that men should repent. It's fairly common. It's the words that we do see most often within the New Testament. And just developing that idea of those two Greek words that we see predominantly in the New Testament, when you consider them, it's broken down into two parts. That word meta, meaning after, beyond, or change. I think in the English we're fairly familiar with words that begin with the prefix meta. We have metamorphosis, the abrupt chemical change of the body structure. We think of a, a caterpillar into a butterfly. We have metamorphic rock, 
where rock is changed under the pressure of heat. And we understand metamorphic rock, the changing of rock. In fact, I think more recently, Facebook has changed its name, the company name, to Meta. Its founder, Mark Zuckerberg, said it wanted to go beyond what it was doing. Now, I don't advocate anything Facebook are doing, but it's just interesting that there's a use of that word meta there, the word beyond. And then we have our two words, uh, which we link to it, naeo and noia, which has to do with the mind or the thought process. So what we are looking at really is this idea of to think differently after, particularly in the New Testament. It's a process that will lead to a change of behaviour, to a change in actions. Turn with me to Genesis, though, because we need to understand all about why repentance is required. Because in the creation account, we know that at the end of chapter 1, Man was created very good. In a sense, man obeyed and followed God's ways from the beginning. That was meant to be the divine order. But we know, don't we, what happens in the creation account, but it's worth just looking at it as a, as a foundation for us for tonight. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, a command is given. Middle of verse 16 of chapter 2. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. They were to not partake of the fruit of this tree described as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And yet we are well aware, I'm sure, of what takes place Verse 4 of chapter 3. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And so in many ways, at this point, we have a turning away from God's instructions and a following of self, doing what man wished to do. Morals of wrong and right were established. If you just look at verse 7 in chapter 3, the eyes of them were both of them both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons they heard the voice of yahweh god walking in the garden in the cool of the day and adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of yahweh god amongst the trees of the garden yahweh god called unto adam and said unto him where art thou and he said i heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so there is a sense of knowing now what they had done. They knew they were naked and they tried to hide themselves. They were afraid, we were told, verse 10. And, and the consequence of all this was massive. 
We pick up words in the New Testament, Romans chapter 5. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. And also we read, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And, and so for all of us here, we all have a sense of right and wrong. We are all in this sinful state. We serve naturally ourselves rather than our creator. This leads us to sin and ultimately it leads us all to death. Consequently, each man and woman alive has had that knowledge. And so the question is, will man try to serve God or his own ways? In fact, it's not really that simple as a choice, is it? In fact, there's levels to this and we'll try to show this tonight. It isn't necessarily an option of serving God and, or serving ourselves. There is perhaps a sense in which one level we might choose that, as in we might say we have a religious conviction or we might have a faith, therefore we serve God. Others who don't have a religious conviction, we might say serve themselves, but it's not necessarily as simple as that, is it? It's more nuanced. We have choices that we make each day, each hour, whether we will try to follow what God has said for us to do in his word, or whether we will serve ourselves. And so there are choices to be made. And the act of repentance is, is striving, it's turning back. It's the continual turning back to God to follow his ways, his instructions that have been laid out for us. We've already hinted at this, but particularly in the Old Testament, God is spoken about as a father to the nation of Israel. And it's an interesting pattern when we think about the words that we opened with, as how we try to train our children to bring them back, to follow the right path. God's own people, which the Old Testament predominantly speaks about, are described as his children. Um, let's just turn to one reference. Go to Exodus and chapter 4. Many we could turn to that speak about the children of Israel being his children and God being a father to them. But here's just one. When he led the children out of the wilderness, out of Egypt, rather. Exodus 4 and verse 22 says, this is God's words to Moses. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith Yahweh. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. The words to Pharaoh there. And actually it's used throughout the Old Testament of God speaking to that nation as a father does his children. Another example, Hosea Hosea 11 and verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. That's Hosea 11. 
And so all the way through the Old Testament, we are presented a pattern of the children of Israel being God's own children, his son. And each time he encourages them to turn back to him. Here's another one, Ezekiel 14. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from your idols. Turn away your faces from all your abominations. And just one more, Ezekiel 18. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a, a new heart and a new spirit, for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. The reason we highlight these verses is actually because this idea of repentance or turning back to God is a matter of life and death. There's a key to this that they are to turn from their evil ways back to God that they might live. It's a principle that is established. Now, another one, come with me to the prophecy of Jonah. Jonah's a, a really interesting prophecy because I believe it actually centres around this whole theme of repentance. In, in chapter 1, the prophet Jonah is sent to the Ninevites. What does Jonah do? He turns and goes the complete opposite direction. And I would suggest he does that because he doesn't want to go to this city of Nineveh so that they repent, the Ninevites being Israel's enemy. So he flees the opposite direction. In the narrative of Jonah, there is that great storm, and it re Jonah realises it's him that has caused it through fleeing from the presence of God, and so he is cast over the board, and he is swallowed by a great fish. Chapter 2 talks about Jonah's great prayer where he repents for turning away from God and so when we come to chapter 3 of Jonah we have exactly the same message that God delivered him from chapter 1 the word of Yahweh came unto Jonah the second time saying arise go unto Nineveh that great city and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee and so Jonah has had to repent at this stage. And now he is to go to the Ninevites to preach a lesson of repentance. Look at the response after he enters. Verse 4, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the message he gave them. Their response, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. And then they say these words in verse 9 of chapter 3. 
Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And the response? God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. And so in this small prophecy in the Old Testament to a nation that isn't Israel, we have the repentance shown by a prophet, Jonah. We have repentance shown by the Ninevites. And we have also repentance shown by God based on the works that this people did. We could say repentance was shown by Gentiles, a Gentile nation. Let's turn into the New Testament now. In, in Hebrews and chapter 6, you can turn there if you want, but it is on the screen, all the verses that we'll consider. Hebrews and, and chapter 6. Hebrews and chapter 6 lists for us um, foundations that the Hebrews were to build on. Six basic teachings that they were to, as we've said, build on. It was a foundation it is described as. A foundation of a, a house almost. We build on that, don't we? And this is what they were instructed to build on. Let's read the end of verse 1. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. It's the first one that is listed among these six things. Doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. The first one listed is repentance of dead works. And we saw that verse in Ezekiel, which said, wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. And now the instruction is repentance from dead works, building on that foundation. The point being that an individual should turn from works which ultimately would lead to death to those that will lead to life. And I suppose in a sense it's just the same as God worked with those Ninevites. When they changed, he spared them. Repentance from dead works. In the opening chapters of our New Testament, in Matthew and chapter 3, we read these words, similar to those that we had in our reading. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were given a charge to repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven was at hand. In fact, let's go to Luke chapter 1 now. Luke chapter 1, we're actually told a little bit more detail about John the Baptist's mission, what he was to do. And this message is given to his parents, to Zacharias, his father. And this is what we read about John the Baptist, what he was commissioned to do. Verse 13 of chapter 1 of Luke. The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God 
and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John's mission, just as we read in Matthew chapter 3, as he went and did, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, was to turn the people back to God, to make a people ready for the Lord or prepared for the Lord, it says. That was John the Baptist's mission. He was a forerunner, one that would come before the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Lord Jesus Christ did come, he would proclaim a very similar message. Matthew chapter 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A consistent message of the people to turn or to change their mind. Let's go into Mark's gospel now. This was our reading that we had. And the reason that I selected to have Mark read as an introductory reading was because in it we had John the Baptist teaching repentance, as we've seen. But we read of it in Mark 1 and verse 4. John did baptise in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. We have the Lord Jesus in verse 14. Uh, where we read, now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And then, as almost to illustrate the point of what repentance is about, we then have the commission to the disciples and they, in a sense, enact the repentance. Just look at the verses from verse 16 here. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Verse 19, we have more. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And so we have a message of repentance and we see individuals leaving everything behind and following the example of the Lord Jesus, literally changing their minds, changing their direction from what they were doing and following another way. We read, don't we, also that they were to become fishers of men themselves. Now, in isolation, that's quite a, an obscure phrase, isn't it? But we know through the rest of the gospel teaching and through the book of Acts that this fishing of men was preaching that same gospel message of repentance. So at the end of Luke 24, for example, uh, Jesus began to explain what was written about him. He said, verse 47 of Luke 24, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, 
beginning at Jerusalem. And so they were to go out and to preach this gospel of repentance. And this gospel of repentance was to be preached alongside this remission of sins or forgiveness of sins in his name. Furthermore, we see that it wasn't now just to Israel, but it would be beginning at Jerusalem to all nations. And this goes on. We can go into Acts chapter 2. We read this is exactly what they then started to do, the disciples. Once Christ had ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, they began to proclaim and preach this message just as they had been asked to do so. Verse 38 of Acts 2, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. It's exactly the message that they were told to do. They went and did. Only this time, we have also this aspect of baptism added in. Repentance, true repentance, is connected with this idea of baptism. It's one of those works that can be done to show a turning to God. It is a, a newness of life. It is a cleansing of the former way and saying that I will turn to God and strive to do everything that he has asked. It's to walk and to follow a new way. And if we were to go back to our diagram, in many ways it's saying I will not follow my own path, but I will strive to turn back to follow God's ways. It's that change of thought. It is faith and belief in the gospel message as we have seen. It is the forgiveness of past sins. We've seen in the Old Testament that it wasn't just to the house of Israel. And so we have verses like this in Acts 26 where the apostle Paul speaks before kings and says, verse 20, he showed unto them first of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all coasts of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent. They should turn to God. They should do works, meet for repentance. And so actually, it doesn't end with baptism, does it? As choosing to follow a particular path. Actually, repentance is demonstrated by doing works that show true repentance. Come with me to Matthew and chapter 3. We read of works of repentance there also. This idea that we need to continue doing this. This isn't one linear path that we can follow. It is something we need to continue doing. Matthew 3, speaking to the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, O generation of vipers, this is the middle of verse 7, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance show true repentance in your fruits in the works that you do in the things that you produce show 
true repentance. It's that complete changing of that idea in Hebrews chapter 6, repentance of dead works, to now bringing forth fruits that show true repentance, that turning, that turning back to God, bringing forth of fruit. And then we see this verse in Second Peter chapter 3. I think it's a, a really comforting verse because it gives hope to anyone. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. An invitation that through the New Testament we see began to Israel, but is extended to the Gentiles, to you and to me. And so then, what does repentance and its works look like? Uh, this will be our final one that we turn to. Turn with me to Galatians and chapter 5. Again, there are many scriptures we could turn to to show what works we should be doing that show repentance, but I thought this one was a, a good one that links us to this idea of fruits. Fruits that show that repentance. Galatians and chapter 5. Looking at verse 19 of chapter 5. This is the bad side I should emphasise first. I haven't got my verse wrong. Verse 19 of chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The contrast, though, that is brought out is in the following verses, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, develop these fruits, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So some virtues there that we should strive to follow to show those fruits of the Spirit, true repentance in our lives. And as we've tried to show all the way through these lines of our ways and, and God's ways, it's, we've presented it like it has been a one-off choice. But the reality is, in our lives, it probably follows more of a path like this. That there are times when we turn away from God, we do things that we shouldn't. And for those of us here in this room who are baptised, there is that lesson that we need to continue to keep changing, turning to God in all that we do. We make mistakes and we need forgiveness, but we need to keep turning back to God. I think there are some really helpful words from the Apostle Paul, because he struggled with this in Romans, where he says, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. 
And so the final lesson then for us, brothers and sisters, is that we need to keep trying to turn back to God. For we know that if we strive with all our hearts to do that, then for us there is the opportunity and the hope of a place in his coming kingdom. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.